Yep. What's up, folks? This is Rafael Garcia and Shawan Humes back on another Thursday, but today is August 10th, 2017, and we are here to once again talk to you about the world of combat sports. You know, it's hard for me to say we're here to talk about mixed martial arts when a lot of the news nowadays involves figures from the world of boxing. But, you know, we're here. We can talk about it all. We can talk about this. We're definitely going to be talking about this uh, big competitive grappling match coming up this weekend. But we're going to, you know, hit on that very quickly. So I guess we should talk about boxing as well. But we got a couple of different things to um, wrap about today. But first and foremost, I want to say, uh, how are you doing today, Shawan? Thank you for joining us tonight. Well, I'm doing good as always, man. You know me, just busy. I know you understand what it's like to be on, on the go all the time. Man, right this minute... Right this very minute, I'm supposed to be at a pool party right now, but you know what I said? Let me sit down, let me give the people what they want, and let's get on this show and make sure we talk about all the news that happened from this week. So I could be sitting out there beside the pool right now, you know, sipping on a rum and coke with my with some of my closest friends, but let's get this done first. How yeah. about that? Gotta get the work done. So, gotta get the work done, man. Where do you want to start, man? We got quite a bit of news to talk about from this week. I think probably, you know, we got the you got the Conor McGregor um, and Floyd Mayweather drama that's going on. And we're going to touch on that. But I want to start with this Anderson Silva, Kelvin Gastelum fight, where it's going to be the first bout in mainland China. It was announced today. It looks like a November 25th event. That's right around Thanksgiving. But I saw this fight announcement, and I immediately thought to myself, what the hell? Like, this is definitely a gimme fight for, I'm not going to say, it's, in my opinion, it's a gimme fight for Gastelum. Um, after some of the fights he's had in the last few go-arounds, you know, he's had Tim Kennedy, Vitor Belfort, he's had Johnny Hendricks, Chris Weidman, Neil Magny, and he goes to Anderson Silva. Talk to me about this fight, man. Are you? I'm not interested in this fight at all, and we're going to talk about another fight that I'm not Truly interested in later on, and I think that the fans aren't really interested in either. But talk to me about this fight. Are you even interested in seeing this? What do you think? Is, what do you think is going on here? The, the weirdest thing about this fight is I remember when Anderson Silva was supposed to fight him and it fell through. Anderson, they kept offering people to Anderson. I think they offered Chris Weidman. They offered a bunch of people to Anderson, and he said he wanted to face someone coming off of a win. And Kevin Gastelum is coming off of a loss, so I don't understand how that's happening. It's not really a big fight as far as, like, you know, the kind of fight that you headline an event with. And um, I really don't know that it's a, the best style matchup for uh, Anderson either. I mean, I, it's an interesting fight on a certain level because of Kelvin Gauslam's his, his superior athleticism. I mean, even though he's he's fighting at middleweight, he's actually still got most of his athleticism for welterweight. That's what gives him such a speed and mobility advantage and uh, agility advantage over so many of the bigger guys at middleweight. But as far as like the interest for it, I don't I don't understand the purpose of making this fight other than they just want to have a big name involved in it to kind of draw in the casuals over in another country because you know you have an event in another country you want to have a somebody who has, whose name has some cachet in it and Gastelum isn't a big enough name to draw people out but Anderson Silva has always been kind of a good uh, a spokesman for the sport he's a worldwide celebrity so I'm sure they're trotting him out for that reason. Um, I just thought they could give him a better fight as far as matchups go and, and a fight where a guy's coming off a win instead of a loss. A stoppage loss at that. So just quite a bit of different things I want to talk about here. First and foremost is, remind me if I'm incorrect, but does the UFC have any fighters on their roster currently that are from China? 
let me look. I mean, because I feel like they've signed people in recent years. You know, they didn't. They had. They had a tough. They had a tough China, didn't they? Yeah. And I'm not, I don't remember how that went over. I don't think it was that great of, of an event. But man, like this makes me want. Like, who else is going to be on 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 this card? Uh, that's, a, that's another I, thing. Usually, when they go to another country, they have a lot of people who are from that area. And I, I don't know how many fighters are really going to want to be on a card like that. I mean, it's not a major card. It's not a pay-per-view. You know, it looks like something else they're just throwing together. They're going to have a big main and co-main event and hope that's enough to uh, to get the people to come out because it's the UFC brand that's selling. It's not necessarily the card. And we go to the country that hasn't had a UFC before. You don't have to have the strongest card. You just have to have a couple names they recognize. And I remember when they did the Ultimate Fighter Chuff. China finale. They had that great main event that had Dong Young Kim versus Johnny Hathaway. I remember that main event. That was a hell of a fight. But um, Zhang Li Peng is the individual who won Tough China, and they put a couple other guys like they had Hatsu Hiyoki at the time. But really, I'm looking at this and I'm like, I, I get what they're trying to do. You know, they're trying to expand their marketplace, which is always fantastic for a sporting organization such as this. But this it, this whole thing just seems awkward to me it seems like an awkward fight to put on, on that card it seems like a bad fight for anderson silva at this point in his career uh it's a good fight for kelvin you know he he wanted this fight earlier he's going to get it it's an opportunity for him to rebound from a from a loss that didn't i want to say didn't hurt his stock much in my opinion and it's, it's a win for him but all the other parties involved including the usc i'm kind of perplexed as to why this fight was made and why was it made now well, it could be a win for him. The thing is, I mean, a loss like this is really, if he wins, people expect it. But if he loses, it does kind of some sort of irreparable damage for him at middleweight. I mean, even though everybody knows Anderson got by with Derek Brunson, a lot of people said that wasn't a win he deserved. It was just kind of a tight loss. So if he somehow beats Gas, Gaslam much less stops him, that uh, really sets Gaslam back as a middleweight. Um, last time I heard, though, I thought Gaslam was moving down to welterweight. Wasn't he saying that after the fight at Weidman, he was going to try to get back down to welterweight and compete? Yeah, but I mean, how many chances do they got to give this guy? They've given him more than enough, and I think that he's had plenty of shots. You there? Yeah, I'm here. Yeah, I feel like he's had plenty of shots to uh, make that weight, and now it's just kind of like that ship is sailed. Yeah, I would agree, but, um, you know, I mean, having a guy fight at a weight class maybe that he doesn't want to be at, that doesn't always lend itself to the best performances from a fighter, if you know if you know where I'm coming from. And like we said before, this isn't this isn't a high-selling matchup. I, I don't really, like I said, I, I assume they're just trying to trot out Anderson out there to have a name that's going to bring in the casual fans. It's not a fight that is important to the middleweight division. If Gasoline beats him, it's another middleweight who's past his prime, who he's beating up on. The one middleweight who was comparatively still in his prime he lost to so this doesn't really help Gasolum if he loses it's it's quite quite a blow to him but if he beats him it doesn't really help him as far as I'm concerned in middle way it's another guy who's on the decline that he's beating up on and what's interesting you know you I'm, I'm gonna kind of go ahead and use it as a segue because I didn't want to spend too much time on that fight right now it was just something that caught my eye that was announced today but you talked about a fight of, of, of a guy on a on a decline and I hate to say that about the middleweight champion but you know, Michael Bisping is where he is right now at, at probably the least the more stellar 
portion of his career. And this week, um, the, the fight with Michael Bisping, I guess, was made official. I'm saying that in air quotes because it was booked for UFC 217. And um, GSP shared that picture of him signing the uh, contract. And again, you know, we talked about this fight in passing. Now it's official, and we're gonna talk about this UFC 217 card that's developing as a whole. But um, does again, does this fight interest you? And is this something that that you want to see? Like, I guess it, just because it involves GSP, and, I, and for a person like me, I'm into the finer points, trying to figure out the strategy he would use, what technique would be used. I, I'm gonna watch fights to see what I can pick up from the fight, regardless of whether it's an, an exciting fight or it's just a it's just kind of a dud of a fight, so it's not the kind of fight that gets me super excited because GSP was on the decline before he left, and even though Michael Bisping won the championship, it's clear that he's in a steep physical decline. He's coming off of injuries, had to take out time for surgery, and even then... He basically he has one time. eye. Say again? He basically has one eye at yeah, this point in yeah, time. Yeah, he has one eye. His conditioning isn't what he used to be. His work rate isn't what he used to be. His, his footwork and mobility, it's all taking steps back because of the wear and tear because he's been fighting for a long time in the UFC. And because he's not a knockout sort of guy, his fights usually go, if not the whole distance, far into the distance. So he's got a lot of mileage on him. I don't think many people have as many minutes in the cage or as many rounds in the cage as he does. And so, I mean, he, he's on a steep decline. He's on a decline, and he's moving up to a weight class that nobody really wants to see him at. And Bisping's fighting a guy that nobody wants to see him fight. So it's a lot of things that it's, it's basically depending on GSP's star power to sell the fight and Bisping's ability to create beef with anybody who signs to fight him because he can always find some way to hate you and criticize you and tear you apart. They're depending on those two things to sell the fight, basically. It's going to be GSP's name that is essentially moving this fight along. So what are, you, what are your analysis of this fight to begin with? Do you think that this is one that um, we should expect GSP to take the win and become you know, a two-division champion, one of the few in UFC history? Or is this a fight that Bisping really can win here? Uh, I, think, I think it's 50-50, actually. A lot of people are going disagree to disagree with me, but George St. Pierre isn't a stupid guy. He's coming back because he's trying to, he was trying to, find, he's trying to make big money. He's trying to continue his competitive career to a degree, and he wants to fight someone who's a safe person to fight. And even though Bisping can fight, he's very experienced. Bisping isn't the guy he used to be. I mean, he didn't look—he didn't look great in his win before Luke Rockhold. He didn't look great against Anderson Silva, and he didn't look great against um, Dan Henderson. Also, two guys who were who were who were in huge decline. And both guys did a lot of damage to him. They—they they actually hurt him really bad in the fight, and at one moment came close to finishing him, at least once or twice in the fight. So um, I think GSP picked this fight for the reason. I think he figures Bisping's on the decline. He's not going to be able to keep the work rate he usually has. Bisping's not a wrestler type guy, so there's no real chance of getting taken down and submitted or taken down and ground and pounded. It should essentially be an extended uh, fight on the feet. And even though Bisping's got a lot of variety and he has a high work rate, I would still say that GSP is the better all-round striker. He's got he's got the better jab. Last time I remember, he has the better footwork. I know it's super crisp, but he's got the wider range of strikes that he can use. And it, when it gets too hot for him on the feet, he's always got the wrestling and the submissions to work from. So on paper, he's actually got the advantage. Plus, he's had like what a year, two years off where he hasn't taken any punishment. He just he did have a knee injury though. Active. He he did have uh, knee surgery because he injured himself while training. Yeah, I mean that is true. 
But, you know, like I said, GSP and his team aren't dumb, so I have to assume that the reason they're picking this fight is because they feel that they're the best they're the best position they can be in right now, and that Bis being slowed enough as far as his work rate and his ability to apply pressure, that if he can't work at the pace he usually works at, and he can't move at the, at the speed and the rate that he usually moves at, that GSP's experience, his savvy, his wrestling, combined with his striking, should be enough to beat Michael Bisping. That's what I, that's what I'm assuming they're looking at because Faraz isn't a he's not a tough he's not a tough guy he's not a brawl it out guy he's not a go to war guy he's a guy who looks at it from the strategic and te technical point of view and he bases all his fights off of is his guy better prepared and better able to execute does this guy have holes that his fighter can exploit and I'm assuming that the GSP sees that Michael Bisping has a lot of holes in his game because he, essentially he's a striker. He's not a great wrestler. He's not a great grappler. He's not a great defensive ra grappler. He's not a great defensive wrestler either. So they're assuming that GSP. Who is? Who is Say it again. You said, said Michael Bisping isn't a great defensive wrestler. I don't think he's a great defensive wrestler. He, he in my opinion. I think he has potential. I I, I think of I, two fights kind of stand out to me. One, there was a fight against Chael Sonnen where he showed the ability to stop takedowns from a bigger man. And then on the other flip side of that coin, there was a fight against Tim Kennedy where he couldn't stop a takedown to save his life. So I think it's really like which version of Michael Bisbee's takedown defense will show up. I would think that GSP's figuring, since I've got, since a lot of times, if you're just shooting on somebody, it's very hard for that person not to defend it unless you're just worlds better than them. With GSP, he's got enough of, he's got better, he's got better footwork, he's got the footwork. He's got the stand-up where he can create opportunities to get into those those double legs or single leg takedowns off of his shots. You know, shoot the jab, come under. Jab right hand or fake the right hand and actually shoot. There's a lot of variations he could come up with. Chael Sonnen doesn't really have that. And even though both guys are bigger than GSP, even GSP at his at a on a decline is probably faster and quicker than Tim Kennedy. He's probably faster and quicker than Chael Sonnen. And he's faster and quicker than Anderson Silva and Dan Henderson, two guys who were able to get their hands on Bisping, if not for takedowns, at least get their hands on him and put some damage on him. So he's assuming he's a little bit quicker, he's a little bit cleaner technically, and he's got a broader set of skills. So he's thinking it's going to come down to quickness, strategy, and skill, which he feels he has an advantage over Bisping. The only advantage Bisping really should have is actually size. He's not a big puncher. I think Johnny, Johnny Hendricks at welterweight hits harder than Bisping at middleweight. Bisping's advantage has been his movement, has been the, his pace, his activity, and the volume he throws. He can't throw that volume anymore, and without the constant pace and movement, his defense is even getting even worse. He's taking more shots than he used to take, and he's not going to be able to hit those angles and get in and get out on GSP if GSP is where he thinks he is. As far as the skill level, it shouldn't be anything close. The only question is, can GSP take some punishment? How much athleticism does GSP have, and what happens when he, he locks up with Bisping. As far as skills, nobody can really say it's a close fight based on skills. In okay, my opinion, they can't. That's an interesting breakdown there. I think that we're, I think that we aren't giving Bisping's boxing and footwork a lot of value here, which I think is better than, than what you're than, than what you're saying. But, you know, he also, what injury is it that I kept mean, him out of fighting? He, he, could well, through, he could blow right through GSP. He really could, he could. But I'm just going. Now that I'll, that part I'll I'll, I'll doubt. GSP is not a super durable guy, but just based on the actual skills, what I've seen both guys do against top end competition, GSP has maintained maintained his effectiveness against the very best, even to, even into his decline. Bisping never really did that. As he started slowing, he started having more problems with guys he would have just outclassed years ago. 
So I, just based on the actual skills and the experience level, I have to go with GSP. But given the fact that he isn't taking a punch, he's not the athlete he used to be, it's possible Bisping could just be all over him and walk right through him. But if I'm looking at skills and strategy, I see ways that, Bis, that GSP can win this fight. And I can't assume that Faraz Zahabi would put his name on this if he didn't think there were clear avenues for GSP to get the victory. He, yeah. He's more of a martial artist and more of a... Uh, an actual coach and, and friend and support partner to his fighters and a lot of guys who are just trying to cash those big checks. So I don't think that he would just have GSP out here fighting if he didn't really believe there was a chance he could win it. Now I'm going to ask you the big question that I'm sure Tyron Woolley would want to hear the answer to. But um, did is people are claiming, and I'm saying claiming again in air quotes, that uh, Demetrius Johnson ducked T.J. Dillashaw. I'm using that in quotes. I don't agree with that, but you know that's 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 the that's the story that's being put out there. This fight is GSP ducking Tyron Woodley. Uh, I think to I think almost to a degree it is. I guess I mean to a degree because he could, but if you look at from the fact that he was a welterweight, he's the last welterweight champion before. And he was the last one. He was undefeated when he left. Um, excuse me. He had that one loss when he left, and he retired before he retired. You could say that he's avoiding Woodley because Woodley is a welterweight champ, and he should come back to claim his crown. But the fact of the matter is, GSP could be looking at it as like I've already won the welterweight crown. There's nothing else for me to take with that fight. I mean, if I beat Woodley, yeah, but that's not me breaking new ground. That's me beating another athletic guy who's a welterweight champion. He might want to conquer a new. A new obstacle, which is going to middleweight. I, I get in, a, in the pure sense, it is he is ducking Woodley because he knows he could get that fight. That fight wouldn't have taken as long to get set up. That fight would have been accepted right away. They could have already had that fight. But from the ins instance of him trying to prove something, do something that hasn't been done, win multiple titles and multiple weight classes, then from that perspective, I don't think he is, he is ducking him. But if you're just talking about straight up, who's the clearest way to a title? Who would you fight? The best guy? He'd fight Woodley because Woodley's probably the better champion at this point. He's closer to his prime, and he's been more do he's been more effective against a higher class of opponent. You know, Woodley's defended his title what three times at least, Four times? and uh, I think Bisping's only defended it once. Three, yeah, that's right. No, yeah, he did. I forgot he he defended it against Dan Henderson. He beat Thompson twice, and then he beat Maya. Maya, yeah, you're right. Thompson twice and then Maya, correct? Yep. And then Bisming's really only defended his title once against a guy who wasn't ranked in the top ten. And Woodley beat the champ, beat a champion who's the number one guy clearly, and then he beat the two the two guys who were ranked number two in the division under him. So he's actually got the if he as far as a meaningful win, as far as rankings and current and current events and where you would stand and what it would mean, beating Woodley right now would be very impressive, especially given how Woodley shut other guys down. But if you're talking about making some kind of history, moving up a weight class and beating a bigger you know, bigger, stronger, more durable man in theory would be the more impressive thing that would stand out in history. I disagree with you. Uh, yeah, that's some pretty good uh, analysis. And, I, and I'm, you know, I'm not the most interested person in this fight, but this is going to be a card that I'm going to watch. It's going to be a card because I think it has some interesting fights on it. The second of which is the supposed fight finally occurring between bantamweight champion Cody Garbrandt and former bantamweight champion TJ Dillashaw. Uh, this is a fight with two former teammates finally getting in there into the cage and getting the job done. 
Who do you think is going to come out the victor in this fight here? And it's interesting. Is should Demetrius Johnson be watching closely? You think this is an opportunity for him to move up if he defeats Ray Borg uh, later on this year? But let's first and foremost let's focus on TJ versus Cody. What are your thoughts on this bout here, and how do you see it breaking down? Uh, initially, I probably have to say I'm going with Cody. I know TJ's. I mean, Cody. People don't know how good a wrestler he is. He's an excellent wrestler defensively and offensively he just doesn't showcase it very much because his hands usually get the job done i mean tj's got the wider array of strikes as far as like i think tj's probably got the better kicks um the better kick punch combinations but when it comes to the hands i think cody's got a clear advantage cody's a much better hitter he's the much cleaner hitter he's a much better boxer and i actually think that his defense is is what's going to be the difference tj's lack of defense against guys who have who are smart strikers or skilled strikers, not everybody's both. Some The best guys are smart and skilled. But again, smart strikers and skilled strikers, CJ's defense has just been, it's been really terrible. I've said this for the last year and a half, two years. Anytime somebody's asked me about TJ Dillashaw being a great striker, he's fine when he's doing that little dance, switch step at a distance. The minute he goes to work, he gets easy to hit. Joe Soto hit him with every single right hand. Hennon Burrell on a bad weight cut who could barely, barely stay on two feet was, was landing was landed going shot for shot with TJ. When he beat him the first time, Henry Burrell was landing tons of shots on him. When he fought Dominic Cruz, Dominic Cruz was landing tons of shots on him. TJ just isn't a very, in my opinion, defensively sound guy. He's so intent on getting his volume off and getting his variety of strikes off that he walks into shots. I don't think he can walk into or walk through the shots that Cody Garbrandt puts on him. Cody Garbrandt is, is good with feints. He's got good footwork. He goes how to get off angles. He can pivot. He throws a good combination. He throws to the body. He can throw pretty much every every punch you need as a boxer, and he can throw well. I'm thinking that he can control the range, essentially control Dillashaw with feints and a jab, and he's going to basically counterpunch him. And Dillashaw's going to try to put heat on him. Dillashaw's going to try to put volume on him, and it's not going to work. It'll be a good it'll be a good fight. It'll be a lot of back and forth action, some heavy exchanges, but I think that. Overall, Garbrandt's a little bit cleaner, and he's got a hell of a lot more power. When Garbrandt hits people, he knocks them out cold. Dillashaw racks up all these numbers, landing 300, 400 punches, landing 54-punch combinations, and guys are still on their feet. I don't think I've ever seen somebody, um, Cody Garbrandt's hit with a solid two-piece and who hasn't been put on his butt. Dominic Cruz, Thomas Almeida, you know, who else? Who else does he face? Everybody he's put combinations on has at least got knocked down, if not knocked out. So... I, I have to go with Garbrun right now. If Garbrun can pitch as well as he can, can catch as well as he pitches, he should be fine. If he can't, that's where the problem comes in. Because even though TJ's not a big hitter, he throws a lot of volume. He's going to hit him a lot. Even with his defense, he's going to find ways to hit him. But I, I think the power and the overall boxing acumen of Garbrun is going to be too much for him. How do you see this fight ending? Is it going to be a decision, or do you think that he'll land enough to stop him? It's really hard for me to see TJ getting knocked out right now. He, he's been hit by some really big hitters, so I don't think he knocks him out, but I, I think he goes to a decision. I, I think he I t- think TJ's going to take a lot of heat, and he's going to take quite a beating in this. He's going to take a lot of shots, but I, I think it goes to full five, uh, full five rounds. If nothing else, TJ can use his wrestling shots and clinches to get some time off to kind of get away from some of the strikes. I don't know that he's going to get Garbrandt down or hold him down, but he can use that to break Garbrandt's rhythm and kind of break up any series or extended combinations he put on him, but I think I think Garbrandt's going to beat him by decision. I don't think it'll be one-sided. It'll be competitive, but I, I expect him to to pull away late, at least get a couple knockdowns in there as well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay, all right. I'm not um, 
I'm not sure where I sit on this fight so far. Um, I think it's it's going to be in a very technical fight. The biggest thing I'm looking forward to is their movement, seeing how well they move around each other. You know, I um I also work with Fight Metric, and one of the things that I do is I research and track how fighters move, how they move forward, backwards, left to right, where they're throwing their strikes from in various positions within the cage. So I'm really interested in looking forward to seeing where that those measures uh, lay out for both of these guys because Cody against Dominic Cruz did such a good job of controlling the center of the cage and forcing Dominic. He kept Dominic's back off the cage and he kind of, uh, he but he forced them into an area where Dominic's movement was limited because the cage was right there. So he, that was something he very did. But TJ, TJ has shown that he is willing to move in that space. I'm not going to say he moves better in that space than Dominic Cruz does, but he he definitely is willing to relent the center of the cage to his opponent and circle effectively while throwing combinations. So I think that that's going to be something that's worth watching because I think it's going to be a hell of a technical affair between the two. Well, him and, him and Cruz are, ba- are basically mirror images. Cruz isn't as sharp or diverse on offense as TJ, but TJ's not as sharp or diverse on defense as, as Cruz. So the question is, is, is TJ's offense going to be enough to overcome um, Garbrun's offense? Because Garbrun's, Garbrun's kind of a good in-between of both of them. He knows how to cut off angles. He knows how to hit angles. He knows how to cut off somebody circling out. He knows how to circle out. He, he's got footwork. He's got feints. He's got distance management. He's got a lot of tools outside of just actual the punches and the power of the strikes he's throwing. And that the biggest problem for Cruz is Cruz's offense wasn't very sharp. He could get out of the way of shots, but when he throws his kicks, his, his, his punches, they're kind of loopy, they're kind of wide, they're not as sharp or snappy as they should be. TJ, by the other instance, throws sharp, snappy shots, but he can't get, the way, he can't get out of the way of anything. He runs into shots. He eats a lot of shots to get the work he wants to get done. So that's why he doesn't mind moving in certain spaces, because he knows he's going to get hit, and he accepts getting hit to get his shots off. Cruz, by the other instance, trying to get away from shots. He gets so far away from shots with his defense with the bobbing and dipping and leaning and slipping and jumping around that he essentially takes himself out of position to put three, four, five shots together on you. He ends up pot shotting, landing a shot here, shot there. Occasionally he'll settle down and throw one, two, three shots on you. For the most part, his defense hinders his offense. In the case of TJ, his offense hinders his defense because he's so intent on getting it off. In the case of Cruz, he couldn't do enough work to put Cody in harm, to rock him, to put him under duress, to see if he would crack under pressure. In the case of TJ, the question is, can he take the punishment necessary to get his shots off, to do the work he wants to do? Because we know that Garbron can navigate navigate his strikes, and and Garbron has a good idea of what TJ can do. These aren't two strangers, so that's going to make the fight even more interesting because you know, Cruz looked at D- Dillashaw from a distance. Everybody else looked at Dillashaw and looked at Garber from a distance. These guys have sparred multiple rounds, many rounds with each other over the years. So they have a really good understanding of what one another can do and what one another can't. There won't be any surprises. Because even though I'm sure they've improved, when you get to a certain point, you don't make the huge life-altering changes and improvements in your skills that, that other people make. Yeah, I'm not going to disagree with you on that. I, I think that is some good breakdown there. Um, I am, you know, I'm interested in seeing this fight. I'm looking forward to seeing it when it comes up in the next few months at UFC 217. So have the trash talk. Their trash talk is beyond awful. Good lord. Yeah, it is. You know, it, it is what it is. Um, it's just unfortunate. You know, we can't we can't have Dominant Cruz be the trash talk whisperer and stand in between these guys and say say what they should be saying. I, I would love to sit there and watch that. That man is 
That man is the absolute greatest at trash talk right now because it's different than what Conor McGregor does. He just insults people to a point where I just can't stand it. Dominic Cruz in, undresses you verbally and leaves you standing there, and he does it in front of a camera where people have to watch are, are watching or however many people are watching whatever um, camera that, that you're standing in front of as he verbally undresses you and there's nothing you can do to, to, to keep well, he, up. He hits on facts and, and even though Uriah Faber never took me up on this, I, I, twit, I tweeted him directly. I told all those people, I'm like, look, Uriah's about to get roasted by Dominic. I got bars for him, but he got to come correct with that money. He never did and we saw what happened. Total embarrassment. What did, um, who called him out? After that last fight, saying that they wanted to fight him because they respect him, and Dominic's response was, "Yeah, well, you should." That's it. Uh, Jimmy Jimmy Rivera. Yeah, yeah like, yeah. like, come on, like that was it. He was like, "You should." <laughs> I mean, like, there's no, you can cut the mic at that point because there's nothing else you can say after that. Yeah, he, he man, it, you can't, you can't. He really does make people seem foolish, and he doesn't do it without raising his voice. He ain't cussing anybody out. He didn't call nobody's mom or their crew anything. Nope. He, he's, he, he just, directs he it just, at you. He directs it at you, and that's it. He makes it real simple, real. It's like an assassin. One shot, sniper, done. He just un, un, undresses you. So you know we're gonna we're gonna move forward to another situation of trash talking. I didn't really want to talk about this, but I guess since it's in the title for today's show, we have to talk about this Pauli Maginelli and Conor McGregor situation. I'm sure you're aware of what occurred over the weekend leading in, in, into this week, correct? Yeah. Man, yes, right, right. for those who are unaware, okay, Paulie was brought in. Paulie is a boxing analysis, first and foremost. So I believe he works for Showtime. So he's a former champion. Uh, he was Two a great boxer. Champion. Time world champion. I think his record is like 40-something and six. Maybe he lost six times throughout his career, something like that. Yeah. Um, yeah. Fantastic boxer. He fought his last fight, I think, this past March. Recently retired. And he's gone in on, on to commentating. And he, you know, he wasn't, he was critical of Conor McGregor, critical in a boxing type of way. He wasn't underhanded with it. He wasn't doing any uncalled for digs. He was doing better than majority of, of the other boxing analysis who are, who are looking at this fight. But I guess Conor McGregor took umbrage to what he said. So Paulie was brought in to be a sparring partner for Conor, which... It's kind of weird to me because Conor made it clear that he wanted to fight him in a way where he's like, he told him he's going to pay for what he said. So, like, there's that. But Paulie goes in and he's a and he's a sparring partner. Then all these pictures start getting released of Paulie on the ground, Paulie looking bad in, in different bad spots, making it seem like Conor got better of him from start to finish. So Paulie basically loses it, goes off. And I don't know if you heard him on the MMA Hour earlier this week. He was on there for an hour. Yeah basically going on a rant saying, you know, calling basically uh, Conor McGregor a dirtbag. So now we're in a situation where it, it's almost like we got a third fight going on, or a second fight, I should say. We have Floyd and uh, Conor who are going at it in 16 days, and then you have Pauly who's going at it in in the media with Conor McGregor. So, I mean, uh, I don't know who on Sure Dog wrote the piece today, but there's a piece about the wrong fight being made and the fight against Paulie should have been uh, put together. And I'm like, man, I kind of want to see that fight more than I want to see the, the Floyd Mayweather fight, just because this looks like this is going to like they hate each other now. What are your thoughts about this whole situation, and and is this a detraction from the spectacle that we're going to see in a little more than two weeks? 
I don't think it's a, a, it detracts from it. I think it's just another another layer, another element they're playing up to that's going to help sell the fight because if you believe, and I'm not saying it happened or it didn't, but if you believe that Mal- Malinagi, he, he hasn't he hasn't been out of boxing very long. He had a fight very recently, like in the last six months, last year or so. So if you're, you're saying that Connor came in and he essentially touched him up, knocked him down, beat him up, then that then all all things considered, that would be that would be fairly impressive, given that Connor is O and O as a professional boxer, and in theory, a guy with Paulie's experience against the level of opposition he's faced, a two-time world champion, no less should be able to hold his own, if not totally outclass somebody of Conor McGregor's ilk. I mean, I know Conor boxed when he was 12 to 15, but there's a big gap between that and being on a world stage against a guy who's faced Miguel Cotto, Amir Khan, Adrian Broner. These are some of the guys that he, he, he's faced. So, in theory, if, if Conor's touching him up, it makes it seem more feasible that he might be able to get something done against Floyd. Obviously, Paulie's no Floyd, but most people would assume that a guy with Polly's pedigree would just handle Connor. And the fact that Connor could hold his own or beat him up in sparring would lend some credence and credibility to, to the idea that he could do well against Mayweather. He could get something done. He has a chance to get something done in the early stages of the fight. Because you, if you've ever boxed a professional boxer, and I've, I've actually boxed a couple Golden, Golden Gloves champions, state, a couple tri-state guys, one guy who was a multiple-time world champion, the level in punching and craft is so, so immense that you can't even touch these guys. You know, I bossed a guy who was a two-time San Antonio Golden Gloves guy. I couldn't touch him. It was embarrassing. And the gap between Connor and Pauly should be ten times as wide. So if Connor's getting some work done against him, people can say, well, he might be able to do something against Mayweather. He might have a couple moments where he could catch him. Mm-hmm. So it, it, helped, it um, helps give him credibility a little bit. Definitely, I think it, it does add credence for those who aren't the most uh, well-versed in this uh, situation. It does add credence and it does add some interesting um, interesting makeup to the story heading into the Mayweather fight. Um, yeah, if you're casual, all you're going to hear is two-time champion, two-time world champion got beat up by Conor McGregor. You look up some of Paulie's fights and you'll be like, hey, this guy can fight. And Conor, Conor touched this guy up? It, it makes it seem a little... If the casuals mind, well, you know, maybe he does have a shot. I mean, he beat he beat up a two world, two time world champion in sparring, and and Paulie was talking trash. So why would it, it? It was probably more like a fight than actual sparring. That's that's the assumption people made because there was already some trash talk between them. So it makes it a little bit easier to make that leap that Connor could have a legitimate shot or some kind of shot. Yeah, I, I, and I mean, people are, are people were making that leap before this. So clearly, you know, they're 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 making the leap now. Now they have proof. Yeah, now they have something to point to. You know what I mean? So it's like uh, if you had some, if you had a former grappler who was like a world-class grappler. Let's say he's totally out of shape, and I grapple him, and somehow I submit him. Even if we were going light, even if he was letting me get into positions, I could live off that finish because I shouldn't even be able to touch this guy on his worst day. So somebody's saying, well, Shawan, maybe we should put Shawan in this kind of match because he tapped this guy, and the guy can be like, well, I gave him position, I did this, but he still finished you. How's that possible? It just kind of legitimizes it. It makes you ask the question. What if, or maybe it could happen. Mm-hmm. Does this situation draw any more interest into the Mayweather and McGregor fight? I think it does, because Paulie's such a big, a big proponent of boxing, and he's speaking so highly. And more importantly, the stuff Paulie's saying on these shows is going to be stuff that people who watch the fight are going to look for now. Like he says, McGregor gets tired after six rounds. 
So didn't McGregor say he was going to knock him out inside of four? Did he say that because he's that confident, or did he say that because he knows he's going to be done after six? He won't have any energy left. You know, McGregor cries like a girl when he gets hit to the body. Ooh, he gave he gave Floyd a tip there. Go to the body. And then now a lot of guys, Floyd's, Floyd's guys are being interviewed, boxers, and his handlers are being interviewed, and they're saying, well, I think Floyd's going to win it by body shot. You start seeing the wheels turning where people are like, oh, my God, Floyd might really stop this guy now because now he's got a blueprint. Paulie gave him the blueprint to, to stop this guy. Or they're thinking... McGregor's got a chance because McGregor's been sparring with pro boxers and he just got done beating up a former two-time champion who's one, of, who's one of the best boxing minds in the business. So, obviously, Conor's got something right going for him. It, it, it kind of empowers both sides. It makes it seem like Conor's more of a threat, like Mayweather might be more vulnerable. In the same instance, it makes Conor seem more vulnerable because now Paulie's sparred all these rounds with him and he's telling all the secrets. So now Floyd, being the smart guy that he is, may be able to take advantage of that. What um I think it's going to be interesting to I want to ask you let me back up I want to ask a question about um after this fight after the Mayweather and McGregor fight people complained when Pacquiao and Mayweather got in because they said they felt gypped do you think that that's going to be the same situation here do you feel like people are going to be like oh my god I got hosed again and I just spent a hundred dollars to sit here and watch a fight that quote-unquote Mayweather ran the whole time and somehow won. Are, are we going to be facing those same types of criticisms and commentary coming on um, April 27th? I could see to an extent, maybe, depending on how Mayweather approaches this fight. But in another instance, the Pacquiao-Mayweather fight was a disappointment because they were no longer in their primes. And everybody knew that at some point earlier, when they were in their primes, in the middle of these huge win streaks, they could have fought. And it would have been a better fight. It wouldn't have been as big an event, but it would have been, it would have been a better fight because Pacquiao's reflex still would have been there. His timing, his conditioning, he would have been healthy and uninjured. So they missed out on a better fight, and everybody knows that because they saw both guys in their prime. That was part of the disappointment, that Pacquiao wasn't the same Pacquiao, and he couldn't do the things he needed to do to get to Floyd. And also, the fact that we had to wait so long for that fight also impacted how people saw it. This, May, this Mayweather-McGregor thing, they've been talking about it for, what, about a year, maybe two years, year and a half? And we're getting the fight. And a lot of people are either expecting are expecting Floyd to win. They're kind of tuning in for the event just to see what it looks like, to see what happens. A lot of people aren't even expecting McGregor to win a round, much less win the fight. But they're tuning in to see the carnival sideshow and the huge event of seeing the best, in air quotes, MMA fighter against the best, in air quotes, all-time boxer. And, and that's what people are signing off for. Nobody really thinks it's going to be competitive. If it's competitive, if it's a good fight for about... Two, two and a half rounds, people will be impressed. If there's one round of a legitimate back and forth where Connor's putting some heat on and Floyd and Floyd's digging in and, and exchanging a little bit, people, I think more people would be happy. It, I would compare it to the Maidana fight, the first Maidana fight. If we can get a first three to four rounds of that fight out of this one, I think people will be more than more than pleased with it. Be, I think, be you know, I, I was talking to someone the other day, and I was like, that's, I think that that's where the fight's going to fall between, somewhere between there and Mayweather Gotti. Yeah, I, I can see that taking over late. If Mayweather decides he wants to really try Connor and kind of let him throw some shots and cover up and, and start working counters and kind of break, break him down, but do it with a little bit more force and not just being slick, it, Mayweather's been in some entertaining fights. He fought, he fought against Emmanuel Augustus. That was pretty entertaining. Miguel Cotto. I guess Maidana will be the closest thing to a McGregor because Maidana is not really a. Maidana had be better experience and fought at a higher level, but Maidana wasn't the athlete 
than McGregor was. I don't know that he was necessarily as big as McGregor. So you could see something like that. But that was a fairly entertaining fight, the first fight. Even the second one was entertaining for about a couple rounds here and there. If, if it's competitive at all in any level and McGregor can land some shots or stand up to some shots, people are going to be fine with it because nobody's expecting him to do anything. So if he's able to do anything at all, I can't imagine people not being happy with what they get from him. Okay, I'm not going to argue with you on that point. Let's uh, So let's move forward. What other, I don't think I had any other news to talk about this week, man. I think that those two were the two big pieces of news I wanted to focus on. So before we head back to look at UFC, what was it, Fight Night 114 from this past week, uh, we talked, man, this is funny because this is a, yet another situation where people look at the card and they say, oh, this this card doesn't look that great. I can miss this one. We can we can go out and party. We can drink. We don't need to we don't need to watch this card. And while you know I am a fan of that, you know I am a fan of people getting out and doing other things rather than sitting down and watching mixed martial arts every weekend. This was a great card. Uh, it was a fun it was a fun card with a bunch of fun filled fights right from the jump. It had what? It didn't have, uh, it didn't have any big fights. It just had well matched fights. Yeah, it didn't have any. It didn't have any big fights. I think I'm gonna. I'm not gonna call the Pettis Moreno a big fight, but it was, in my opinion, I think it, it kind of set the stage for a number one contender to be created. But it was a it was a good start from it was good from start to finish, man. I enjoyed just just about every fight here, and um, I was glad with uh, what I saw. Before we go right into the main event, um, tell me about what you thought of, of this card overall. I thought it was good. I thought it was a card. I always tell people there's two kinds of cards. You can have a card with fun fights, good fights. Fun fights are good fights, and you can have a card with important fights. Sometimes fun fights are just, they're really great. They're really back and forth. They get your blood pumping, but they don't mean anything to the division. They don't mean anything to the bigger picture. Sometimes you get important fights that are super important. Tyrone Woodley versus Steven Thompson was a super important fight. Boring as fuck. <laughs> Same thing as Damian Maya. Boring. It very important fights, but you wouldn't watch any one of those fights again. At least I wouldn't. If I, unless somebody was paying me to do research on it. That's the only way I'm watching any more of his fights over again. If I'm riding a piece or someone is paying me to do it, I appreciate it. I don't need to see it again, Tyron. If you've seen one, you've seen them all. I don't need to see it again. Give me something different. But um, this fight had a couple of important fights, and it had mostly just a lot of well-matched good fights between people of comparable levels of skill who had to... Who were, who were good enough to put each other in the positions that the other guy was weak in that would kind of tell us something about the fighters. Because those are the best kind of fights when you have opponents who are close enough, who are close enough, who are ma matched close enough that they can test each other in key areas and answer questions that we don't know. Does this guy have a ground game? Does this guy have cardio? Can this guy take punishment? Can this guy come back from bad spots? Is this guy's defense good? You want matches where, they, where you find something out about each fighter and each one of these fights, you had fights where we found something out about where, where someone stood, how good they were, how athletically talented they were, how mentally or physically durable they were. So it was informative fights and it was fun fights, but they weren't exactly important to the division or the UFC uh -huh. for the most part. I'm going to disagree with you there. Um, I, I do kind of think about the, the, the Moreno-Pettis fight as being important. So let's kind of, let's actually, no, let's start with the Ronda Marcos fight because I think that that was very interesting there a lot of people didn't agree with the decision in the main uh excuse me in the co-main event where alexa grasso got the win over ronda marcos by split decision break down that fight for me there what do you think uh happened and who did you have a score for first of all no disrespect to anybody who thought marcos won i don't know what y'all talking about i didn't see it i don't get it 
looking objectively, I can see some spots that it was close. I don't see how you got a Ronda Marcus win out of that. I don't see how any, anybody who knows anything about mixed martial arts on any level thought that she actually won. Ronda Marcos lost this fight the same way she loses all her fights against a certain caliber of fighter, a certain caliber of athlete. She does enough to keep it close, but she doesn't do enough to actually win the fight because she has a huge gap in her actual skills. She can't really strike. She can't really wrestle. Like she, She's known as somebody with a wrestling background, but she's not really any sort of dominant wrestler. And she's not... She's good on the ground, more opportunistic than actually good. But against the best grapplers, she hasn't been able to finish or control them. Against better wrestlers, she hasn't really consistently been able to take them down or defend takedowns. And against the better strikers, she's gotten beaten up and lit up on repeated occasions. She's more of a really an athlete who's got a good chin and usually works at a very fast pace. That's her whole thing. She can take a beating. She can work at a fast pace. She's good at closing distance. She hits hard and she's strong. She's not really technically adept in any one area where she can just dominate anybody because she hasn't done it. I mean, you can tell me she is, but I have not seen her dominate anybody on a, on a skill level. Athletically, she's given people a lot of problems. Technically, I'm not impressed. I've never been impressed with her. I've said it repeatedly. And she doesn't have the cage IQ and the awareness in the cage to make the smart decisions. All her, all her scoring and all her winning is done based off people having a lack of experience or doing who are equally either equally as unskilled or equally as bad at decision making in actual fights. She doesn't really get a whole lot done in fights. She explodes and spurts and sets a high pace and that's where she does her damage. Against Grasso, she had moments. I will give her that. She she landed some shots. She was able to hang with her in some exchanges. She took her down. But all her takedowns and all her success on the feet were based on Grasso do going against her natural skills. It wasn't. It wasn't actually. It wasn't her actually taking things away from Grasso. It's Grasso actually giving her the opportunities and the spots to get work done against her. Because Grasso wasn't. Grasso, since she's been in the UFC, has not been doing what she's been doing in Invicta on her way to getting nine and zero and coming in here. She's changed up her fight style, and as a result, she's given people more opportunities to get in these wrestling exchanges with her, to take the initiative in exchanges with her, and to take advantage of her real her, her suspect kicking game. That's that's how she's been getting pushed in these fights. That's how she's lost the fight to Herring. That's how she ended up in a tight fight with Randa Marcos. Because she's not doing the things she's best at. She's best when she's applying pressure. She's best when she's putting shots together. She's best when she's pushing you back, initiating clinches, initiating takedowns, and essentially outworking you and out-hustling. Kind of like a more skilled Paige Van Zandt. Paige Van Zandt's also very good in the clinch, but Paige Van Zandt is terrible everywhere else. Alexa Grasso is actually good in that boxing, that boxing range coming forward, and she has better entries and transitions while she's in the clinch. But since she's been in the UFC, she's kind of tried to sit back a little bit, try to be an outfighter, try to stick and move, try to be really slick, and that's not working for her because she's not good enough at it. Her defense isn't there. Her counters aren't as effective when she's fighting off the back foot. She doesn't have that, that skill set, or she doesn't have it at this point because she's facing girls who aren't tenured strikers and Joe Clark and Marcos, and she's still getting hit. She's getting hit, she's getting moved, and she's getting pushed back by them. So she's actually fighting the wrong style. And because she's fighting the wrong style, which is, I don't know if it's a problem with her coaching, because if it is, her coaches have either made a really bad decision and had her fighting style that's not working for her, or she's doing like Paige Van Zandt, where she's trying to change her style to be more aesthetically pleasing or to look flashier. Either way, it's not working. But the only time Marco's got any work done is when Grasso gave her those spots to work in, when she didn't show any urgency 
when she didn't initiate exchanges, when she was backing up, when she was throwing kicks from long distance, when she was striking from long distance. Those aren't her fortes. Those aren't what she's good at. She's good at applying steady pressure with a diverse range of punches, chopping you up, pushing you back, getting in clinches, beating you up, and either just overwhelming you or taking you down. And she didn't start doing that until later when she started stalking Marcos. When she stalked Marcos and moved her hands, it wasn't even close. She was taking her down, out positioning her, beating her up, out hustling her. When she kind of stayed at range, throwing those ridiculous kicks, what happened? She got taken down twice. She got controlled on the ground. She got countered and she got beaten exchanges. So a lot of what Grasso, if Grasso's smart, she'll go back to what she was doing and just make some slight adjustments because she's gonna have to be more on point because she's, she's past the point of fighting girls like Heather Joe Clark and Randa Marcus who have a lot of athleticism, but no subtlety and no IQ to make adjustments necessary to beat her. The, girl, the girls she's going to be facing from here on out are going to have the skill set, the IQ, and the physical ability where they can beat her if she's going to fight against her type. So she's going to have to get that, figure out what she wants to do and the best way to execute that for her to move forward as far as uh, moving up in weight, moving along in the weight class and possibly challenging for a title. That's actually where I was going next. Do you see either one of these women breaking through to become a contender in the strawweight division? Actually, we can kind of we can well, use just real quick. I hate to. I'm I'm gonna sound like I'm ragging on this girl, but Marcos for his, she's ranked number nine. She's only won more than two fights in a row, or two fights in a row once in her career, and that was in her first three fights. Ever since then, she's been win loss, win loss, and she's lost against every single name. She's got the ability. Yeah. She's got the build. She's got the ability to win. And when she was with Faraz Vahabi, watch her fight against Carolina Kovačević. Watch her fight. Watch how she's throwing counters. Watch how she's more settled on her feet. Watch how she's more deliberate and more diverse with her striking, with better setups. And then watch her versus Carlos Sparza. Watch her versus Alex Grasso. And tell me that fighter wasn't strategically and technically better. Same athlete, but much more measured, much more efficient, much more effective. She left that to come back to coaches she was comfortable with. And since then, she has regressed and leans exclusively on her athletic ability. That's why she can't get any further. When she faces girls who can handle her athletic ability, her lack of skill gets exposed each and every time. She got out-wrestled by Grasso in the fight in multiple instances. She, anytime Grasso put her foot on the gas and applied pressure, she was beating the hell out of her on the feet. That's why I keep saying, I don't understand what everybody is watching that, uh, I get why it's close, but did she want it? Where did she win it at? She took her down the third round, did nothing. And then when Grasso got up, she beat her within an inch of her life on the feet. And then she beat her up in the first round. The only round you can give it to her is the second round, which she was also getting beat up on the feet until she caught those kicks and took her down and worked Grasso over. And she still did not really put any work in on Grasso as far as really beating her up or getting in position to finish. So based on the scoring criteria, I don't understand what fight they were watching where this fight was a loss for Grasso. It just doesn't make any sense to me. I'm not, I'm not saying they're idiots. I just don't get it, and I'm fairly smart about these kind of things. Well, I mean, you know how it fight breakdowns usually tend to go after the event, so... Oh, oh no, 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 no. MMARatings.net. I put I took the do and don't edition, Alice Grasso, said exactly what she needed to do to win, and when she didn't do it, I said do's and don'ts. Every time she did the don'ts, she was losing. More times than not, she was doing the do's, and when she did it, she was outclassing her. This isn't anything I, did, I, I called after the fact. I called this as soon as this fight was made. I said, Marcus is in trouble. She's not any good. She's a big, strong, bigger, a big, strong athletic girl with limited skills. If Grasso fights with any sort of urgency, with any sort of aggression, she will 
beat her up. It might be a close win, it might be a blowout, depending on how aggressive she comes. But Grasso is gonna beat her because she's a better skilled fighter and has better IQ than than Miranda Marcos. I, I was saying that for a while, and I made sure I got that article out because I know people tend to get on me about how harsh I am after the fact, and I'm like, no, this this went exactly how I posted it. Yeah, I'm not gonna disagree with you there, man. You you, you were definitely uh, talking about this fight right from jump. What do you do next with both women? Um, with Marcos, she. I, I really think she just needs to tune some things up. She's got too much athletic ability, and she's still young enough where she can turn around and make herself a factor. She's got some good wins, and she's beaten all the people who are below a certain level, so now she's just got to beat the top girls. Um, I do think she shouldn't challenge the decision on the fight. I think her team should tell her she lost the fight. I think if they're being objective and they want her to get better, they need to take some time off and really work on developing her skills and not keeping her so active because it's a lack of refined defense, ability to set up her offense, to work her way into the to position, to apply her offense, and execution in the things that she does that's holding her back. She's got toughness, she's got heart, she's got good enough cardio, she's got durability, but she can't seem to finish in the position she gets into. She gets takedowns, she can't really do much with it. She's on the feet, she spends a lot of rounds circling on the outside, she gets in exchanges, but she's getting hit as much as she's hitting. She can push somebody back, but she can't seem to work her way into range to hit the right kind of shots to put people away, even when she has them in trouble. I really think she just needs some fine-tuning. I won't say she needs to go to another camp, but they really need to work on the fine-tuning to maximize her athleticism instead of depending on it to get her wins. So, and I, don't, I think she should drop, drop, drop that complaint. She took, I know Grasso didn't make weight, but you took the money. Once you take the money, I don't want to hear any arguments from you. You took the money, you took the fight, don't complain afterwards. It was in Mexico, it was unfair. I don't care. You knew it was going to be in Mexico. You knew the deal. So if you didn't want to take the fight, you shouldn't have taken it. Let somebody else take it. You did, if she didn't make weight, you could have said, I'm not fighting. She didn't make weight. There's other things you could have done. I don't believe in the complaining after the fact. You still took it. You knew the deal. Deal with it. For Grasso, she's got to get her weight under control, and she has got to start fighting in a more effective manner. She will no longer have, because she's got, she's got too many wins, she's no longer going to have the ability to fight dumb and then come back in the fight. It's not gonna be good enough. She has to fight in a more measured manner and she has to go back to what she's doing best, which is which is applying deliberate, technical pressure, throwing combinations, controlling the pace and the place of the fight and breaking people down. If she is not going to do that, she's going to continue to rack up losses because all the girls above her are comparable athletes and they're good enough and smart enough that if she makes these kind of mistakes, they will capitalize on it. Um, I don't really know who they would have for her next. Maybe Angela Hill. Angela Hill's an option. They might want to give her somebody coming off a loss just to kind of help her confidence build, see if she can make weight before they, they risk, a, a better, risk a better fighter against her for a fight that she might not make weight for. Um, I can't see her against the Watterson. Maybe Paige Van Zandt, possibly. Maybe Beck Rawling. I, I don't really know because I don't know who's moving up to flyweight and who's staying at strawweight. So there's kind of some questions as, as far as who would be available for her to fight. Wait, no, Paige yeah, man, I think, fight Jessica I. So she's, she's well, off the market. Dude, how... Man, don't even get me started on, on, on that. Don't even get me started on that fight. I wasn't going to talk about it. I was going to actually ask, should, should one of these two women move up to flyweight? But, I mean, you open the door. I'm not going to... I'm, I'm not going to... No, I'm not going to walk through it. You're not going to get me. Not today. <laughs> Almost got you. Almost got there. you, man. Um, if you threw it out there, I'm not going to jump on that. So let's talk about um, Sergio Pettis and Brandon Moreno. 
I think this was a this was a great showing for Pettis, obviously because he won, but he was the underdog coming in, into this fight. Everyone was thinking that you know it's Brandon Moreno's time. This guy's gonna was he really. I think he was the underdog coming uh, into the fight. I feel like it was it was close. It was not 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 a huge huge gap, but I think he was the underdog. Good lord, I, so, didn't, I didn't see um, that at all. <laughs> let me look real quick. Let me look. But I believe he was. I think it was like a minus one twenty. Yeah, but I actually, I actually did a breakdown for that fight for uh, actual severe MMA, and I did a breakdown for that. And um, I was I was Pettis the whole way. Unfortunately, it's gonna seem like I'm ragging on another fighter, but I've been ragging on his brother Anthony because he's the he's he's the tougher guy physically. He's he's the actual talent. But I've just said for and you you've heard me say this for years. Sergio Pettis is actually the better fighter out of both of them. The technical, strategical, more disciplined, coachable fighter. Sergio Pettis is much much better than Anthony. And um, I just didn't think Moreno had very much of a chance. Moreno. As I said last week, as much like Jason Knight, he gets by on pressure, his activity, his ability to finish. He pulls out finishes out of anywhere, whether it's striking, uh, submissions, whatever he needs to do. But he depends on that too much. He depends on his ability to take punishment, and he depends on his ability to finish a fight at any moment to determine a fight. And in that instance, he will let guys get into positions, let guys get into spaces where they can do their best work because he feels at some moment he's going to turn it around with a big strike, a big takedown, or big submission. And in the first round, he got that takedown off that kick, and everybody thought it was all over. He totally dominated. It was like almost a 10-8 round, and they thought it was going to be like this, round after round. But what did he do in the second round? He stood out, tried to work the outside, let Anthony Sergio Pettis set up shop, and he just tore him apart with that jab, and everything came off the jab. And from that point on, he was just beating Moreno up and out hustling him, landing him like three to one shots, dodging everything, blocking everything, and just chopping him up to the body, to the face, rights, lefts, jabs, body kicks, leg kicks, head kicks. And Moreno couldn't do anything. And you could just see in Moreno's back of his mind, like he's just waiting for his opportunity where mm-hmm. Pettis is going to make a mistake and he's going to turn the fight around. And that opportunity never really came. Yeah, I was actually talking about that with the people I was watching the fight with, that it was look like he was just sitting there waiting. But to answer your question, yeah, Pettis was a, a 155 underdog to Moreno's um, 160, 175 favorite. Wow. Uh, yeah. I mean, Moreno can fight. I'm not trying to say the dude can't fight, but if you watch his fights closely, a lot of those wins were those real dynamic, quick submissions. You land, land a really big shot, and then you finish a guy. And it's very impressive because you got the win, but there's a lot of steps missed in front of it. He's a skilled guy as far as actually applying a skill, but it's kind of like if you know how to do a perfect armbar, but you don't know how to set the armbar up. You'll never get the armbar because you don't know how to get to you don't know how to get to it. Like once you get in position, you're fine, but you have a hard time getting in position. Or you know how to land a jab, you know how to throw a jab, but you don't know how to get in position to land the jab. So what's the problem if you have the best jab in the world, but you can't get in position to land it? That's essentially what Moreno does. He he didn't know how to create wrestling shots where he could punch his way into a clinch and and use a trip or body lock. He couldn't he couldn't create shots single legs, snatch single legs or double legs. When he was on the feet, he didn't know how to jab his way in or throw combinations to get in position and end it with a leg kick. He didn't know how to do any of those things. He was basically at a certain range waiting for Sergio to give him something that he'd be able to pounce all over. And when Sergio did it, he looked great. But once Sergio cut down on mistakes and j- just played it really close to the vest and technical, he literally had nothing for him. Like he, he, he really didn't from round two to round five, except for one instance when he took him down, he had nothing for him. He couldn't do anything with him. He it's just a lot of standing around, a lot of wild strikes, a lot of poorly attempted takedowns. 
and a lot of Sergio just putting leather on his face repeatedly. It, it, to me, it, it seemed like a less competitive version of Grasso v Marcos, except Grasso kept making mistakes that kept Marcos in the fight, and Sergio Pettis had basically a round and a half where he made mistakes, and the rest of the time he pitched a shutout. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I agree with that fully. Do you think that this was enough of a win to make Pettis the next contender if Demetrius Johnson defeats Borg and doesn't go up? I don't think Pettis, if, if Johnson moves up, I think Pettis should go for the title fight. If Johnson stays there, I think Pettis should get one more fight because the thing they've done, because Johnson is so dominant, a lot of guys who could challenge him if they had three or four more fights, had a little bit more seasoning, and got put in some situations where they could learn how to figure things out. Because basically, it's like the Max Holloway thing. The reason Max Holloway handled Jose Aldo so well is because he fought every kind of different style. He had to fight guys where he had to move. He had to fight where he had to bite down and exchange. He had to fight where he had to grapple, where he had to pressure. He got put in every single situation against skillful, experienced guys who were going to be able to hinder his ability to pressure, to escape, to box, to grapple, who could counter him in those areas. So then when he fought Jose Aldo, he had all the confidence that if I had to be on defense, I could land. If I had to pressure, I can do it. If I had to be technical, I have to do it. He knew he could do whatever he needed to do because he had been put in every situation. Sergio Pettis has not been in a situation with a guy who can apply pressure and be physical and takedowns and physical and clinches like Demetrius Johnson can. He still hasn't faced that. A lot of the guys he's faced, he's been able to set his, get set, throw his jab, and essentially walk them down and pick them apart and move them back. He's not going to be able to do that to Johnson. Johnson's got too, too far an array of skills. And if Johnson gets in on a clinch on you, Johnson's been known to do work on guys. He's faced guys a lot more durable than Pettis. Pettis needs to see what it's like and see how he responds when a guy is suffocating him on top and can take him down repeatedly. When a guy has those transitions from outside to punching, to, from outside kicking range to punching range to clinching range to takedowns, or a guy who can just go from punching range and get a shot and take you down, and not just take you down and hold you, but put a series of submissions on, chain the submissions together. He hasn't faced that yet. And I think right now he's a little, he's a little undercooked. He's got the skill set that could, that could do some damage to Johnson, but he doesn't have the seasoning. He hasn't really been pushed. Moreno put him in a bad spot, but he hasn't really, really been pushed. Even in the fights he lost, he was winning them before he, he just got suddenly KO'd. It wasn't like he was just being outclassed. He needs to see what it's like when he can't do what he wants, when a guy can, can take him down at will when a guy can control him on the ground, when a guy can shut down some of his striking, see how creative he can be, see how he handles when he's under pressure. I haven't seen that enough from him yet. And I thought maybe Moreno would do more of that, but Moreno, he didn't have it in him. Or he, he just couldn't figure things out to create pressure. So I need to see him in a, in a few more situations so that I know he has a chance at handling what Demetrius is going to bring to him. Because what Demetrius is bringing to him is much more diverse and much more focused than what Moreno and anybody else he's beaten. Sergio's beaten some good guys, some very crafty guys, some very experienced guys. He has not beaten elite athletes. He has not beaten elite technical talents as of yet. I'd like to see him face Henry Cejudo, possibly. That would still be a good fight. Maybe Wilson Reyes, Hayes, if he wins his fight. Someone like that, I think, would be fights that would tell us things about him that we don't know already. Okay, okay. I'm not, I'm not mad at, at that breakdown there. Um, man, I think I think Pettis is going to be the next guy tapped for the um, title shot, though, if Borg doesn't get the job done and um, Johnson stays where he is. What if Borg misses weight? Yeah, you got that, too. You got no, that, that, too. a possibility. There's definitely a possibility. Um, as and far as Moreno... Oh, sorry, go ahead. Go ahead. No, 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 no. Uh, go ahead. As far as Moreno, what? Moreno, he, he's obviously popular. 
he, he, he's got some talent. He wouldn't have beat the guys he beat without it. But he needs, I'm going to say the same thing he said happened with Marcos. They've been having him fight a lot. And with the fighting, you, you get your timing down. You get your comfort in the cage down. You get your confidence up. But the thing about it is, you make all your technical, I'm going to quote our good friend Patrick Wyman from Heavy Hands, you make all your growth and make all your improvements when you're in training. That's when you learn the little things. You learn how to put things together. You can't learn that in a fight because you're too busy trying to win or survive. As you train them in the train them in a camp over a period of time, you can work them in against lesser opposition. You can work them in when you really need them. But a fight isn't really the place you try out new things with because you're facing guys who could beat you and it could impact your bottom line. He needs to spend some more time figuring out those in-between ranges. We know he's great on the ground, but we now we see he, he doesn't know how to get to get a fight to the ground consistently unless you give him something. We know he can be great on the feet if you're coming right in front of him and you're gonna exchange. What happens when somebody puts a jab on him? He couldn't even get past a basic jab. Sergio didn't even do nothing fancy with a jab. It was basic. A basic jab, a basic right hand essentially ended his night. It was like watching GSP fight Koscheck again. He needs to figure out those little in-between spots head movement, positioning, getting his footwork a little bit tighter, learning how to move his feet with his punches so he could punch himself in position to get a takedown or shoot a takedown and transition into strikes now that he's got his hands on somebody. He doesn't have any idea how to do that. Same way as Ronda Marcos has no idea to do that because they both have the athletic talent and the durability and the heart that if they had those skills, they might both, got, both would still be undefeated in the cage. But since they lack those finer skills as far as transitioning, footwork positioning, and placement, whether it's striking or grappling, that's what's going to hold him back. And it's going to continue to hold Moreno back. There's lots of guys who are lesser athletes who, and lesser, lesser technical fighters who will make the mistakes and give him the opportunities. But at the very elite levels, he's going to have to be able to create openings. He can't just wait for them to come. He can't do the Lorenzo, the Ricardo Lamas thing. That works against a certain caliber guys, but every time Ricardo Lamas fought elite guys, he never could find that opening. He could never find it against elite guys. Against guys like Jason Knight, Guys like Chad Mendes, guys who are known to make mistakes, guys who are known to get a little wild, he always finds a way. Against the elite guys, he, he can never do enough to win a fight. It's going to be the same thing with Moreno, just like it's the same thing with Marcos. They've got to get those little in-between spots, those layers, that nuance, that subtlety. That has to be settled. That has to be defined for them to take the next step forward. They've already got the talent. It's just that lack of seasoning and savvy that's killing them. Hmm. So what do you think, how, do you, how does he grow? Like, where do you think that, do you think he stays with his camp? Do you think he goes somewhere else? What do you think he needs to do to uh, grow? I have no idea who his camp is. I, I really don't. I, he might want to bring in a better striking coach, or maybe he, maybe he doesn't spend enough time striking. A lot of guys think I hit the pads, I spar. They don't spar with a the purpose. They spar to win. That's not helping you. You need to spar with a purpose. You need to do some partner drills. Maybe, maybe they're, they're trying, I don't know if it's a matter of him not wanting to learn or it's like OSP where you've got a camp full of guys who are telling you nonsense and, and te teaching you the wrong thing to do with fights. I'm not sure which one it is. It, I, since I don't know, I'm going to say he just needs to find, a, find some way somehow to actually work on those finer points of detail. So he's got the general stuff down, but he doesn't have any diversity. He doesn't have any finer understanding. No, there's no way, I don't care how good Pettis' jab is, there's no way that jab should have shut him down all night long. No way that should have shut him down. And him, once he realized that he couldn't handle Pettis at range, he should have stopped sitting back and doing all the wavy, trying to bait him in to catch him with a big shot. He should have pressed. He's more durable than Pettis. He's stronger than him. He should have just waited in both hands, throwing as hard as he can, pushing the pace, making Pettis work, seeing if he could wear him out late or catch him with something big early. He should have done that. He didn't do that. So not only does he not have the skills, 
he doesn't have the awareness to know that he he's taking the wrong plan. His coach, his corner didn't tell him different, and he didn't have the awareness to say, this isn't working. I need to make an adjustment. I'll take the back. I don't know that his corner did. didn't tell him that. But I believe his corner did not tell him to make an adjustment, and he didn't know in himself, I need to make an adjustment. That's a problem. <laughs> That's a problem if, both th if those things are true, especially the second one, because your coaches can tell you stuff in between rounds, they can yell at you, but in the heat of the moment, true understanding of technique and of situational awareness will tell you, you need to make an adjustment. Perfect example, when Misha Tate fought Jess Guy. Jess Guy was lighting her up. What did Misha Tate do? Took a lowered stance, started jabbing up, pushing Jessica Guy's chin even higher up in the air, hit her with the overhand right. She made an adjustment on her own based on her training, her observation, and specific drilling. She knew what to do. I'm standing too tall, I'm getting hit. Let me drop my stance. I can't hit her with my jab. I'm going to hit her in the chest. Then I'm going to lift it up. Put that chin up the air, overhand right. That's Moreno had no adjustment. He kept doing the same thing even though it was clearly not working. Marcos kept doing the same thing even though it was clearly not working. They have no sense of how the fight goes and that needs to be addressed. I don't know if they need to go to another camp, they need to bring someone into their camp, or maybe they just need to take the time to actually focus on those finer points because they're both such good athletes and they have so much heart that they're going to be able to skip a lot of the steps along the way. They, won't, they don't have to develop all the steps because just based on athleticism and toughness, they can beat about 50% of the division right now. And that might be good enough for them. But if they want to be elite, they've got, got to find a way to fill those individual gaps. And until they do, you're going to start seeing win, win some, lose some, win some, lose some. There won't be three, four, five win streaks. They're not athletically talented enough, and they're damn sure not skilled enough to put three or four wins together. We already know Marcos can't, and you're about to see Moreno get exposed really quick if he doesn't start putting some things together. People have, already, people have already been surprised by him. He's not surprising anybody anymore. And now there's a blueprint for how to beat him. So now people, the story's out. So now we're gonna find out how, how good he really is and if he really has adjustments. Because if he doesn't, it's over. There's already a blueprint. We've already seen how to beat you. Hmm. Well, I mean, I'm not gonna disagree with everything you said there, man. That's definitely some key analysis and some breakdown there. I think that I, I wasn't surprised that Moreno was the uh, favorite. I feel like Pettis, you know, Pettis, struggled in his fight against Alex Caceres and you know he has that last name which people are kind of questioning right now um, but I, his victory I think it's important for him to get that win I do think he's going to be tapped next as the next uh, title challenger if Demetrius Johnson wins and stays at 125 I just think that they really don't have anyone else to offer him I'll, right now so I'll I, tell you I this think much. that he's next if he had half Anthony's talent I would guarantee he would be Demetrius Johnson if he had half of it half of Anthony's athleticism he'd wipe the floor with Johnson, but he doesn't have it. <laughs> if he had, he had Anthony's athleticism and his durability, I would bet everything I have that he would walk through Demetrius Johnson, but he does not have that. He doesn't have any margin for error. That's his problem. He can't afford to make the mistakes he was making before when he was fighting like Anthony because he can't take the shot. He can't, he can't generate the power. He can't find the submission out of nowhere like Anthony does because Anthony makes a lot of mistakes in his fight, but his ability allows him to overshadow them by getting the correct result. Sergio has none of that room for error. He has to be pitch perfect just to stay in a fight. Yeah, you're right. He definitely does have to be pitch perfect from there. So, um, you know, we're we're at a point now where we have a little bit of, of a lull between fights, and that's never a bad thing. I've got some quiet time. I want some people to, you know, go outside, enjoy the weather. You know, the summer's about to end, so be sure to have some fun. Um, what are what are some of the things you're going to be working on? over the next few weeks uh, before um, we have our next fight? Um, I'm actually doing some different 
pieces like I'm just gonna I'm thinking I'm gonna do a series on some of the Bellator the Bellator female fighters like do some breakdowns kind of explain their styles what they do what they don't do well and how how it shapes who they are and how far they could go they had some big signings so it gives me a lot a lot of things to look over I'm also thinking about doing something with a kind of breaking down the different types of fighter like the prospect the uh, name fighter the vet the journeyman just to kind of give people a better understanding of what people mean when they say well this guy's a prospect this guy's a journeyman some people think journeyman's just some bum when actually journeymen are usually the most experienced and most skilled guys actually competing they actually make the sport more than the superstars and more than the prospects do but just give people a better understanding of what to look for and what it means when somebody says hey that guy's a prospect that guy's a journeyman, that guy's a, more of an athlete than a fighter, that guy's more of a fighter than an athlete. Just kind of maybe clear up some, not, it's not so much fighter specific in all of them, but just to clear up some of the things you hear um, through fight, fight catch. You know how many times they say this guy's an athlete, not really a fighter, this guy's a journeyman. A lot of people don't know what that is because they're not really hardcore fans of combat sports. So they don't, they don't know what they're talking about. And there's whole reason, whole sections of the fight they're missing out on because they don't, understand what it means to have to have this guy put in with this kind of guy or why this fight's being made I'm trying to I'm kind of trying to bridge the gap in that information in that area of information so that people have a better sense of what they're betting on what they're watching and what the commentators are saying mm -hmm. I'm not going to um, argue with you there those are definitely some good points I am working on man I actually am I just put up a piece yesterday on bloody elbow about this Travis Stevens Yuri uh, Samois fight that's scheduled for this Saturday you know people Travis Stevens is the third Olympic male a male excuse me third American male to win a silver medal in the Olympic uh, judo space so he is going up against last year's ADCC champion in Yuri Samois in a 10 minute submission only grappling bout so I'm looking forward to seeing that that's going to be crazy fun on fight to win pro this uh, interesting seeing those guys get that kind of uh, legitimacy when you're having like recognized world-class athletes coming in not just like in your spectrum but people who are no more broad as far you know being an Olympic medalist that that still carries some cachet I don't care what you get the medal in the sport in and then being an Olympic judo medalist that that means a lot that kind of lends a sense of credibility to your event it man it, it, it lends a whole lot of credibility because like that's a crazy I mean he's he, okay the level of technique that is going to occur in this fight on Saturday is going to be quite impressive. Um, you have, again, one guy who is ADCC world champ, another guy who is the at the highest of the high levels of his sport. This is going to be a hell of a match, and I can't wait to see uh, what goes down in that that main event. Um, I have a question. Did yeah, you see? You saw the? Did you see EBI this last weekend? Twelve. Yeah. Yeah, man, it was it was something else. The women came out there. In my opinion, that is the best EBI that that, that they put on to date. What did you think about having a? Because she she fights in Bellator, but basically the uncrowned flyweight champion. I think she won her division. Uh, Alina yeah. McFarland. Yeah. That was that's that's pretty impressive. That that's gonna. I think that that helps to bring a whole other segment of people into her as she continues her title run in Bellator. I think that really helps her star potential and it gives her a lot of avenues as far as how they can market her and like what kind definitely. of fire they can market her definitely i want to get her on on the show because i that her performance made me more interested in her 
Bellator run. Uh, if you're unaware, you know this is also the same girl that's from the the, the soccer mom fight out, out in California from a, a few years yes. back. Do you remember that? Yes. This is that same girl. So I mean, or that same woman, excuse me. So she's you know having all of these these different uh, yeah, situations she, she's that are at a high level, not just in MMA but in grappling at a very very high level, like at the same time, essentially. Basically. So uh, she had to research her a little bit because I was I was uh, doing a, a article on one of her opponents, Emily Ducote, and I had to watch mm -hmm. their fight like multiple times. And uh, you really see that uh, she really is world class in the ground. She really is an exceptional grappler in, in many ways. And I, I'm not a grappling expert that you are, but when you you see talent, you see natural ability, and you see that uh that awareness and that ability to adjust in grappling exchanges, that's not that's not that level of it is isn't as present in women's mixed martial art. As a lot of people like to think it is a lot of it ends up being stalemates or scramble she really can actually grapple she can be in a position and work you over from it and go step by step and improve and work her way to the better one she doesn't just depend on that athleticism mm -hmm. i can definitely rock with i'm you. paying attention to you a little bit on the grappling i'm paying a little bit of attention dog it's going to be i mean like that was a hell of an event and on top of that you know they're doing the combat jiu combat jujitsu world championships coming up i think later on this year so that's something else i have to put together there's a lot of stuff going on in, in the world of grappling that i gotta kind of get caught up on but um i'm working on what else i got i got some other stuff coming up for the site this week you know it's going to be a pretty busy week but all in all you know i, I think it's going to be a um very productive time away from just the UFC. There's going to be a lot of opportunity to focus on other uh, other combat sports, which I think is going to be pretty awesome in the, in the next few weeks. Yeah, it's good because you can explore some other aspects of mixed martial arts instead of just the next fight, the next event, the breakdown. You can kind of space out some of your writing or just take a break from it, you know, and, and relax and kind of enjoy the time down to kind of do things you want to do and talk about things you want to talk outside of direct competition, direct fighting mm -hmm. things. I'm definitely agreeing with you there. So with that in mind, man, I'm going to go ahead and close out this week's show. And as always, you know, thank you for everyone who supports our content. Be sure to catch us on uh, MMARatings.net to talk about, to go there and rate the fights. You can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at MMARatingsNet. Catch us on um, SoundCloud, iTunes, and where else, Sean? Where am I uh, forgetting? YouTube and Stitcher? Correct. Be sure to always like and share our content. Share it across your uh, social media spaces. And again, thank you for your hour and a half to uh, listen to us talk about mixed martial arts. Everyone have a great rest of your week. Yeah, guys, thank you very much. I hope I answered your questions about the the fight with uh, Grasso and Marcos and Pettis and Moreno. Some people asked me to really go in depth with that. If you have any other questions, you can always reach me at Black Jordan Breen at Twitter. I'll be there to answer any questions you have or further explain my perspective if you want it or you need it as always thank you very much for listening to the show getting our numbers up and uh giving us something to do on thursday nights i know problem Rafael, he's about to go party party right yeah, now so seriously let me see if i can, get, <laughs> let me see if I can uh, grab my bathing suit fast enough and get downtown all right, man. Stay safe all right out man. there, man i'm not have a good one <laughs> all right bye <laughs>